Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. In this episode, we talk with Janelle Teebs, president of Bugaboo, who has led the premier Dutch design stroller company through successive years of double-digit sales growth. Prior to her current role, Janelle had a decade-long career in leadership at Nike, launching many of their now market-leading products. We talk about everything from being unapologetically ambitious with young children, to building a collaboration-centric culture in a fully remote team, to overcoming blind spots as a leader, to the ultimate productivity hacks for high-flying working parents. Welcome, Janelle. We are so excited to have you with us today. I think a good opening question would be, talk us through a day in the life as the GM of Bugaboo. So I don't have a typical day, but what I do have is a typical week. And so I tend to structure and set up my weeks the same, which is on Mondays, I start the week with a business overview. So taking a look at how the weekend performed. This is this tends to be a peak time in retail if anyone has worked in consumer goods before. So we review business and then I also bring my team together for our staff meeting or what we call our Monday huddle. And that really sets up the rest of the week. What are we all going to focus on? What are the strategic priorities? What are the, the key projects that we all need to really be united on our focus on? So Monday is all about re- reviewing business and then setting up the rest of the week. And then on Tuesday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays is where I have my one-on-one times. So I have dedicated 30 to one hour meetings with all my direct reports. And then also the next layer beyond my team, I'm just to do really do a check-in. So Tuesdays and Wednesdays tend to be stacked with one-on-one meetings. And then on Wednesdays, we have a midweek check-in, which is, okay, what we talked about on Monday, how's that progressing? How is business unfolding? Those are Wednesdays. Thursdays are for external meetings. So I have a lot of external touch points, either with a partnership or a brand that we want to be working with, could be the media. So Thursdays are for external. And then Fridays, we really wrap the week. And then we say, okay, this is what it's left outstanding. We'll go back to this when we come back in the office on Monday. And then from there, the week can really unfold depending on issues or what, honestly, what the team needs. That's a big part of my role as well, which is really leaning into team health. And I know that we'll get more into that, but how I do that, sort of what my leadership philosophies and values are really comes to light depending on on what my team needs. But these structured meetings and also dedicated days are really important when you're working in a remote organization because you don't have the luxury of meeting each other at the coffee machine and saying, oh yeah, that thing that we talked about, here's a progress report. You just really have to be with intentional with your time. So while every day, uh, hour to hour can look differently, each week tends to be structured and set up the same way. And that's, I think you've hit the nail on the head there about that balance between structure and just having a flex, right? And catch the fastballs and entering the week with that plan, but then being able to be willing to flex with that. And that definitely ties into one of your 
dominant behaviors around just appreciating and being more productive with that procedural element, but then still having those patterns in you that enable you to look at the bigger picture and potentially flex some of that process when you need to in different scenarios. Yeah, I think that's one of the great gifts of doing an exercise like this, right? Which is you become really aware of your super strengths, but then if you almost over rev them, then they can also turn into weaknesses. So that's admittedly something that I'm really looking to improve on, which is I am so procedural driven. I'm so process driven. I'm pretty structured. How I lead my team is also how I lead my family. So I think also my my partner would say the same thing. I run a pretty tight ship at home, but also it's so important to make space for those meetings that don't have an agenda or having that creative free flow throwing spaghetti at the wall workshop session where actually a lot of magic can emerge from that. And that's an ongoing thing for me is how do I make space for that sort of unstructured playtime? Because that's when you may get output that you typically wouldn't when you're so operations oriented, which is who I am. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and, it, and it's absolutely, a, it will be your biggest strength. And it's it's interesting, isn't it, around making space for, for that more creative thinking. And I know there's a lot of conversation around balance and having it all and whether you can or can't have like an ambitious career with small children. You talk there about uh, your personal life as well as professional. What's your take on that? Can you, can you have it all? Gosh, that is such... That's like the age old question, right? And I will I will offer my personal perspective, which is I, for the first time in my life, I feel so fulfilled and confident in where my career is and this position that I've reached, which is high demand, high octane, high performance, high stakes. But I'm also in this incredibly magical chapter of where my children are young. And my oldest is six and my youngest just turned three. And so if you think about really the, my children need a lot right now. And I have fully leaned in to be as present of a mom as I can be. I for sure have my tools and my tricks and I depend a lot on my support structure at home, who is my partner. And he's an incredibly active parent and I I couldn't do this without him, but my experience and where I am right now in my life is that you can have it all. You can have the career that you want and you can be the type of parent that you want to be as long as you're really clear on what that means for you. And so it's unique to my family structure, to the time that I have available to my family, the needs of the business and the company that I'm in charge of running. But for the first time, I feel really confident in where I've landed. And I've, I also look a lot to mentors who have been on this journey ahead of me. And so I take bits and bobs from them and I've, I've put it all together into this formula that works for me. And I, I do, I talk about it really as an offering to maybe the person I was two years ago, which wasn't in this place of confidence. So a lot of what I share is probably me speaking back to my former self and saying, hey, it will all work out. You know, try this, try that, and you'll land on a balance that that works for you and, and works for your family. So that's always the filter that I try and share what I share through. I love that. And I think that 
you're so right about those mentors and role models, right? Which is is what you are now with, with where you're at. Because I remember somebody once saying to me, and I remember the pivotal moment that actually somebody said to me, you know that you can have it all, don't you? You know that you can raise a child and run an ambitious business. You don't need to choose. Now, not that you don't make sacrifices in the day to day. You know, I know you travel a lot and you sort of share really candidly about how that feels sometimes, but that actually you don't need to make overarching sacrifices and choose between ambition and family. You talk about having unapologetic ambition and that I think aligns really lovely with some of your dominant behaviors around goal focus and that visionary piece and the achievement piece in you. What does unapologetic ambition mean to you at this stage in your life? I think it's having a clear vision on where you want to go and fully leaning in and creating the plan step by step, brick by brick, which will get you there. And maybe that doesn't resonate to everyone, but if it's true to you and if it is how you imagine your life ending up, fully lean into that and it doesn't really matter what other people think. So I think where my term unapologetic ambition came from was that for a really long time, I had felt that I was underqualified or not experienced enough to have this point of view. And what I have now come to decide is that nobody really knows actually. And you're actually doing a disservice to the world and to the people around you and people who you may not even know who are looking up to you and at you by not sharing your gifts or your insights or your experience. And so when I say unapologetic ambition, I really mean just being unapologetically who you are and everyone has something. There is no one in this world that has your mindset, your combination of childhood, upbringing, education, learned experiences, travels, you put that all together and we each have something to give. And so it took me a while to get here, but now here I am. And and I, I do enjoy sharing that. That feels, I feel like I just got goosebumps when yeah. you said that. It's like this, I think that's something that so many people need to hear and they need to understand that, you know, whatever you call it, whether it's your genius zone, whether it's your unique ability, whatever that looks like, that you're right. Like you need to show that to the world. The world needs to see that from you and you're almost doing a huge disservice if you hide yourself away from that. So I love that message. It, it's the journey, isn't it? And I think you can't gain experience without without starting you can't gain knowledge without going and learning so it's like it's it is a journey but actually if you think about it often people think about their their work journey or they think about their academia and what they've done before you know at university in their studies but actually it's not that it's it's that and everything else that goes before you we often talk about you are the person you are because of all of those interactions the people that have crossed paths with you the places you've traveled the things you've seen and they form who you are. And that's yeah. the wonderful thing. We're all different and we're different for, for a reason because everybody's life and experience is different. Right. I think that's a really, yeah, it's a really beautiful thing. One of my favorite books of all time, I actually gifted it to my team for Christmas two years ago, is The Atomic Habit. And in The Atomic Habit, there's this concept which I learned, which is the 1% gain. And that's how I view mentors. And that's also how I view the message that I try and share, which is, 
take what you want and take 1% of this and apply it to your life. If only 1% applies to you, that is still 1% better. And through time, that 1% added up from your mentors, from your colleagues, from your team, from your favorite leaders, from your role models and your heroes. You put all those little 1%s together and you're all of a sudden 75% better than you were five years ago. And what incredible progress. And I also heard this thing, which I really love, which is just this idea of the invisible progress, right? And we sometimes don't realize and we don't know, but if you just take these little bits every day, 1% every day, you're going to look back and be like, wow, I came so far. And so that's how I look at mentors. And that's also how I try and offer the tools and the tricks that I share, which is you don't need to take the whole thing. Maybe the whole thing doesn't apply to you. Maybe only 1% does. And that's a gift that someone has taken 1% learning from me. And so I really like this philosophy of the 1% rule or the 1% habit. You don't have to try and change the world and big swings, just that invisible progress from the people around you, from the tools, from reading, from podcasts. I, I love this idea of self-development and, and progress. Which definitely links. You've got a, a skew for this alignment with people. Mm -hmm. We call it the external pattern, but I think you're probably one of the most dominant we've had on on our podcast where that external piece is where you really, really love to seek counsel and opinion and mix with people, gather gather their feedback and thoughts, which will make you have a real people skew. And we can definitely sense that in you. Tell us a little bit about how that comes across in your leadership style. Right. So I think bringing this to life in a really tactical example, just to give you. So right now we're entering the last quarter of 2023. So what a lot of business leaders are doing right now is kicking off 2024 planning sessions. And you have some leaders who have run this by saying, this is the plan, write it on the board and go cascade this, go share this out with the rest of the organization. Pretty directive, very clear, that probably also has a lot of benefits because it comes from one source. My style is really by tapping the people around me who are, by the way, experts in areas that I am not in. And collectively, all together, these many brains is much more powerful than one brain is my belief because humbly, I am an expert in a few areas, but certainly not all of them, not in supply chain or not in operations and not in finance. I know what I'm really strong in and I know where I need help. So I'll bring my leaders, my cross-functional team all together in a room. We'll sit around a table and we'll say, hey, here's the outcome. Here's what we want to achieve for next year. Here's the desired result. How do we back into it? And everybody, there's no such thing as a bad idea. Put it on the table. You collate all of that. And then that becomes the group projects part. And then I sift through it and then say, okay, maybe we have a follow-up session where we take a look at the short list of ideas that made it. And then ultimately I'll make a decision and say, here are the three things that we're going to hang our hat on. I'm a big fan of fewer better. And okay, all together, we put everything on a table. Here are the three winning strategic pillars that have emerged. Now you go and build a plan against this. And I actually really like this analogy. I borrowed it from Mel Robbins, who actually uses it for life, but I use it um, in my business, which is, I believe that we're all on this road trip. And as general manager, my, my role is to provide the map and to say, here's the destination, here's where we need to go. But I look at my team as you are the ones that are deciding how fast we go, whether we take 
the fifth exit or the 10th exit, whether we stop for gas at this point in the year, or if we speed up, or maybe we need to go slow and pick someone up on the way, you are deciding actually the how. And I'm there to provide guidance and to make sure that we stay on track. And by the way, also remove roadblocks. If a tree has fallen in our path, it's my job to make sure that it gets cleared out. Um, but I love this ex analogy of a, of a road trip. And I've used it over and over again that my team are probably like, we get it. We're on a, we're on a trip with you. <laughs> we're all in the car. <laughs> we're not getting off. We're, we're, all not, we're all in the car and we're, we're, we're driving. We got it. Um, but yeah, that's how I really view it. I think that there's some elements of collaboration that our group work and that at some point your responsibility as a leader is making a decision. And one of my favorite mentors told me years ago, and I still remember it, the further that you get in your career, you're making higher stakes decisions, probably with less and less information because of everything you have to oversee. So you have to feel comfortable with the ambiguity and you can gather as much data as you can, but then at one point you need to make a decision and clarity is a gift for your team. So make a decision, be clear about the decision and then move on. So that's also one of the things that I try and think about. And we often debate this whole piece. We often get asked, well, which behavioral patterns are the best for like a good leader? And, you know, we've debated this many a times and, and it does depend. I mean, it really does depend, but you've just sort of articulated beautifully the fact that you have to come in when you need to come in, but having a less dictatorial black and white leadership style, more inclusive can mean that people who have the strengths potentially that you don't have can add that. So the detail, the how and the what, your big picture. So you're a visionary, you can see where you want to go, you can see that destination. But, you know, joining the dots and it's it's then looking to the team, isn't it, yeah. for that, which yeah. is which is really interesting because I think sometimes people think that there's a right or a wrong, but leadership comes in so many different shapes and sizes, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And different, again, different styles and sort of different ways of bringing that to life. And I, I think the ultimate journey that anyone can be on in a career is really borrowing what resonates with you and applying that and creating your own unique blend. And certainly my style is a mix of leaders that I've studied, athletes that I have watched through the years. I worked for almost 10 years in the sports industry. And so I had this this gift of being within close proximity to some of the best athletes in the world. So how athletes run their mindset and manage their own game. And then personal experience, of course, like through trial and error. And I've, I've come up with my unique way that works for me and serves me, which will continue to evolve, by the way, as I, yeah, exactly. as I encounter other, other leaders and work on different teams. I'm interested to know a little bit about the collaboration piece, because one thing we, as we're now increasingly in this remote or hybrid work environment post COVID I think that's that's amplified and there's this question that we constantly get around how do you get people to effectively collaborate come together still have that really great cultural element when you're all working remotely and obviously you manage a fully remote team so I'm interested in your take on that and and some of the things that you do that you think builds collaboration as well as it would if you were all sat in an office together. Yes, it's a great question. So let me paint the picture for you. So I have a team of almost 30 that are fully remote across the US and Canada. So this is four time zones, two different countries. And then I also work frequently with our global headquarters, which is a whole different team based in Amsterdam. So then you also have cross-cultural communication and styles. So my job is predominantly remote and I'm on Zoom a lot. So when it comes to remote work and creating connectivity, 
I think that I would offer a couple things. So one, being really intentional with the point of time. And I have this constant question that I'm asking myself, which is, is this respecting people's time? Is this meeting? What are they getting from it? Is this a meeting that can be a, an email? Or is there something that people feel like they must be in this meeting in order to receive some bit of information? Because Zoom fatigue is really real, especially if you're sitting at home and you're like on the screen all day. So the setup and the objective of meetings is really important. I think secondly, it's having consistent and thoughtful one-on-one time with people individually outside of group settings. So how are you if their kid is popping up into the screen? Oh my gosh, is are they home from school? How are you managing this? Do you want to reschedule? I'm a super flexible leader. One of my values, because really this is how I need to live my life right now with the age of my kids, is I'm super flexible, but also with really high accountability. So if people have things going on in their personal life, I really am I will meet you there and you share with me as much as you want to share. And then I'm, I'm there to provide the flexibility, which is one of the greatest benefits of remote work and one of the gifts that the pandemic has taught us. So being really intentional with time, connecting with people as humans and not as employees, I think is also really important. And then the third bit is there's so many benefits of the remote work from home situation, but there's also just a lot that cannot be replicated in person. And so I have a dedicated budget that I have carved out, which is just for bringing the team together with the sole purpose to check in, collaborate, have that creative play, free flowing brainstorm time, which is really hard to facilitate on Zoom. It's not impossible, but it is hard. And my leadership team comes together quarterly and I bring the full North America team together once a year, maybe twice a year if if we can get there. And in that week, it is a combination of business inspiration, but then also team work. So we do volunteer work, we do community work, which is also has a ton of employee engagement benefits, by the way, aside from being the right thing to do. So there are some rules of the game that I try and play within when it comes to remote work, but also with the reality that, hey, there are some things that we just need to travel and get into a room for and specific times of year, then you can structure your time, your family, whatever needs to happen at home so you can be there during those times. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think I think they're great lessons for people too, because I think there can be this almost it's almost it's what you don't know right so if you've always worked in an environment where people are sat across a desk from each other you almost just presume that you can't get anywhere near those levels of productivity but it's just been really what you've described there has been really intentional about what you want to create and the outcomes that you want to drive and then executing according to those this podcast is called Misbehave. So <laughs> I'm really interested Uh-oh. to <laughs> No. I'm really interested to know what is what does behavior mean to you? Oh, that's a great question. I think behavior is really how two things. How you act, which communicates your values, and then also the words that you say throughout the day, which are so powerful. That's also one of my beliefs is that words have incredible power. So I try and be very intentional with the words that I try and use. And I've also integrated it into my morning habits as well, which we can also go into that. But I see behavior really as how you act and how you speak to others, probably also nonverbal language, which really portray to your team or to your circle around you what's important to you. 
What are your values? How do you live your life? How do you lead others? And so I think behavior is incredibly important because it's it's both verbal and nonverbal cues that really communicate values and, and significance. And we all have our own unique behavior, right? Um, intentional or unintentional that, that tends to come out. So yeah, for sure. That subconscious bias stuff is like when you, we meet people, we judge them. We don't know them. We, we can judge them without them even opening their mouth. You know, we have this lovely saying that sometimes we use around like your actions are so loud. I can't hear what you're saying because people do. They bring their body language without even knowing they're doing it. And I think the combination between your linguistics and your body language and then also just your actions. You know, what what does that say about you? How consistent are you? how do you live your life is definitely a good measure of someone's behaviors, but people can flex them and learn new ways of doing things and be better. You know, I want to look at, cause obviously I want to look back on that, that process piece in you and strong routines and habits are a big part of your life. Can you talk us through a little bit about some of the routines and habits that work for you and any other productivity hacks that you have? Yes. So it won't surprise you because procedural ranked so high in my framework, which is I really believe and I speak a lot about the importance of a morning routine. And again, this is what works for me and what serves me and everything else that I need to do during my day. So I'm part of a very early club. I wake up at 5 a.m. I'm part of the 5 a.m. club. And everyone always asks me, what time do you go to sleep? I go to sleep at 10. So if if I go to sleep at 10, that's by five, that's about seven hours. So I'm not a night owl. I am unproductive the evening before, but I set my alarm at 5 a.m. And the first thing that I do is I reach over to my nightstand table and I have a journal and this journal travels with me. If I'm on a business trip, I also take it with me. And I always start the day by writing what I'm grateful for. And this can be as big as the health of my parents, the health of my children, to small things like the way that the light hit my son's hair while he was playing in the park the other day, just holding on to these green shoots in my life and recognizing them. I think that that is such a powerful practice, no matter what is going on in your life. And by the way, I've had hardships. I have had my own struggles within my parents and my family and and the health of loved ones and struggles within my career. And I have found that this practice grounding yourselves in the big and small things that are going well in your life just helps train your brain to orientate to positive light. It's going to think something anyway, so why not control it to ground onto what is going well? And so I write down um, the three things that I'm grateful for. If I'm going through a tough time, I'll also journal. I'll forward journal how I hope a meeting will go or a particular challenge. And I find that this also helps me organize my actions that I then do later in the day with, okay, am I taking baby steps towards this outcome that I I really want to happen? So I usually spend about 20 minutes journaling. If I have time, I will also read a few pages of a nonfiction book. So I'm really into self-development. I love reading autobiographies of really brilliant people who have been on this path before me. So I'll read a few pages and then I will then move into my favorite part, which is hydration and movement. So I I drink a really big glass of water and I make myself a coffee and then I will move my body. So one of my principles is um, it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be done. So I will spend about 25 minutes, 30 minutes working out. And now I live in New York City. There's not a ton of space. I don't have a garage to work out in, um, but this is also not the season of my life that I can be going to 
one hour workout classes in the morning because I really want to be there when my kids get up. So I work out in my living room and then usually that gets me to about 6.30. And by that time I'm starting to make our breakfast for my kids and then starting to scroll emails. I work for a global company. So I, I get a lot of emails from Europe and Asia that have come through overnight. But once I have served myself for those first 90 minutes, then I start pouring into, okay, what emails do I need to get out? Making my kids snacks, making their breakfast. And then by the time they wake up by 7 a.m., it's like the circus has begun. I got to get them dressed. Um, <laughs> I try and sit down with them. I, it's not a long time. You know, I sit down and have a cup of coffee with them and my breakfast with them to chat about their day. And then I, I got to get ready. So I really look at my morning routine as the time that I can control because for the rest of the day, a lot of uncontrollable things will happen. So at least I, I enter that on stable footing that makes me ready for whatever may come next. And I think that piece that you described there around, you know, the chunks of time, but actually about being about quality and it's not actually measured in whether you manage to wake up for an hour or whether you manage to sit down with your kids and talk for a full 30 minutes. And I think that's one of our favorite pieces of coaching when we're doing exec coaching is around you can't create more hours in the day, right? But you can find the things that have the highest impact in that moment. And, you know, you can be purposeful and present in those moments. And that's often better than spending three hours doing something, but you're distracted and you're not focused and it's not something that's moving you forward. So I think that's a, a great example of that. And also just that procedural piece. It's like we sometimes say to people, if you're highly procedural or you love a process, sometimes your day, you just haven't got the control over it, if, particularly if you work at the level you do. So find the places where you can put the process in place where you have the option. And then actually, like you said, it would set you up for the day, at least feeling like you've started in some kind of like sink that you feel like you, you've prepared yourself for the day intentionally. I do a very similar practice to yours, uh, Janelle, and it, it works for me. And it feels a luxury. I don't get up quite as early as you, but it feels a luxury. But it's not because it means I'm more productive for the rest essential, of the day. essential, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's really essential. It's not a non-negotiable. Right. Yes. And again, I, I do this whether I'm traveling. So I was in Boston the other day and then um, I was in Berlin before that. And one of the things that I talk about, which is during those times I'm on work travel, I'm obviously not with my kids. So of course there's a heartache and there's a, there's a sadness that comes with that. But before I go on these trips, I am really present. I'm really intentional with my time. I've cleared my calendar and we do what we call special time. So we will just play or we'll bake a cake or we'll go and we'll have a picnic in the park. And to your point, Sarah, yes, it is having that complete presence with them because I won't get the time back when I'm on these trips, but I can make the time count when I am with them. And I know that my children feel loved and adored and they know that they are my biggest priority above all. But on the same respect, I also have a responsibility and I also play a role within my family. And going back to that unapologetic ambition, I I love that. My career fulfills me. I have things that I want to accomplish. And yes, I do it for my kids. I also do it for me. And so I think having that acknowledgement and also just saying, okay, I can't be in all these places at once, but I can be in these places for focused amounts of time and be the very best that I can be when I am there. Fully present, not scrolling my phone, not taking calls when I'm with my kids and it's our time. And so it's not perfect, of course, but I, you know, I, I feel like I have gotten to a place where I feel so happy and, and content in, in the place that I've reached. But 
you got to work for it. It doesn't come easy. You have to work for it. It's not easy. And I just want to share with the listeners because you did something on a recent trip that I think was so special and such a great example of that. Talk us through that thing that you did with the picture that your daughter drew for you before you went on your most recent trip. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So again, my children are, are younger and I feel like everything that I do, I want to show them kind of like a peek behind the curtain. When I tell my kids I'm going on a work trip, they're like, what does that mean? What is a, what is a career? What is a job? What does it mean to be at Bugaboo? I don't understand what you do. And so one of the things that I had them do was to draw a picture in my notebook that I, my gratitude journal that I travel with. And I took pictures of this drawing in different places around Berlin. So I was in different meeting rooms and either overlooking the city or crossing the Berlin wall, incredible historical monument. And I would take pictures of this drawing and I would send them home and I would say, oh, I'm here, you know, here's my view. And and look, you know, here's a picture of my daughter drew a rainbow. And so this rainbow traveled with me everywhere throughout Berlin. And so she got a sense of, oh, what, what is mama doing? Like, what does it mean to work? Here are these beautiful sights and scenes that she's experiencing. And she felt connected in with that. And also I want her to know, I take you everywhere that I am. So maybe I'm not with you at home right now in New York, but I'm always thinking of you. I miss you. Have a great day. And it's a really, again, kind of silly thing that I do between me and her, but it really resonated with a lot of parents, a lot of mothers who reached out and said, oh my gosh, I'm going to LA next week. I'm definitely going to do this. And so I'm, I'm really just, again, I'm happy that it was able to land and also help another working parent because it is really tough. It is, it is tough to be away and it's not glamorous, but it is also, I think, important to show our children when I'm not with you, this is what I'm doing. And and then it also gives us something to talk about when I get home. I think it's so good. And it's so important for them to see that role model, too. I think often in that debate about working parents or not working parents, you know, often the piece that people forget is that piece around what role model are you creating, right? That it's not always just, again, goes back to how much time you can spend, but what are you showing your children and I think that's a really lovely example of that so I'm interested to pivot a little bit and obviously you had 10 years at Nike and now at Bugaboo and I think both brands have created such loyal followings and coveted products really and I'm interested to know what does it take to create a product that has such loyalty and that people just want to get their hands on Yeah, so I think whether you're at Nike, which is an incredible global and legacy brand, big company, or you're at a company like Bugaboo, which is on a similar growth journey, but also still on a growth brand, at least in the United States, I think whether you're a big company or a small company, or you're an entrepreneur and you're launching your own company, really great companies all put their consumer at the center of their decision-making of their planning. And as long as you don't lose that North Star, whether you are building a product or you're creating a new offering or you're thinking of the next brand campaign, having your consumer and making consumer-centric decisions is really going to serve you ultimately the best. And I and I really look at Nike as really being the leader in that. And so when I was at Nike, we talked about the athlete at the center of the conversation. And now that I'm at Bugaboo, we put the new parent at the center of the conversation. So I would really offer that to anyone who is in a business or 
thinking of launching a business to really hold tight to that consumer centric decision making because you can be pulled in a million different directions. Like you could be making decisions that have financial uh, viewpoints at the middle of the conversation or the product team in the middle of the conversation. And what you always want to do is think, how does this serve our consumer? How does this better the lives of, of the new parent? How are we changing athletes' lives with this? What do we want our consumer to feel once they've experienced this event, right? Asking yourself, asking your team those questions that ultimately are about service to your customer or to your consumer, I think will, will serve you, will serve you all. Just, I'm conscious of time, but I do want to ask, like, what's your highlights from your career? Because we've talked a lot about, like, now, and you mentioned the sport and industry that you were in. If you had to sort of choose one or two highlights, what would they be? Oh, gosh, that is such a great question. So I, two come to mind, okay? And the first one was a really fantastic team that I worked on in 2018, I was at Nike and it was actually my first time being in a GM role and I had a really brilliant team and it was sort of that cross-functional department oversight that I, I talked through at the beginning of our conversation. And I think what made that team really special was not the plans and the campaigns that we created because yes, that was incredible work to be proud of and it drove inc incredible results and it was successful across so many different KPIs. But what I really love about that time was that every person brought their individual superpower to the table and there was zero ego about each other. And we put it all together and magic happened. So I often look back to that time because I learned so much from this team. I also feel like we all grew together because we had open minds, open ears, and we came to the table and there was just this genuine desire to create something that hadn't been created before. And so we had worked on the Women's World Cup that took place in Paris in 2019. And if they're listening to this, everyone is probably smiling to themselves because it was just the example for me that I, I look back at, which is many brains are better than one. And together there can be just such a collective force and energy that will then translate to the outside world, to a brand campaign, to a business result, to a store opening. Um, and it all comes down to people and human connection and learning from one another. So that that is a highlight moment. And then the second highlight moment actually was probably the hardest time in my career. And I didn't know that it would turn into a career highlight, but like 2020, a lot of teams, a lot of businesses had to make really difficult decisions. And the team that I was on went through a big strategic shift, a big restructuring. It also coincided with the exact same month that I had gone through an emergency C-section with my youngest. So I was also healing and recovering from that. And then I learned that the company, while I was on maternity leave, was going through a big strategic shift and I would need to move across country to a new role in a new office on the other side of the U.S. That was a really hard thing for me to process because like, a lot of people, 2020 was filled with a lot of uncertainty. And so I did a lot of mindset work at that time in my career because I was like, should I move? Should I not move? It would be silly not to move because people are losing jobs left and right. And I should be grateful that I have a job. And it was a time of a lot of instability, both on the job side and then also my family side, because we had welcomed this new baby and we were living in New York City and we were all just trying to stay healthy with the pandemic. And so I felt very untethered through those two big aspects of my life 
shifting and feeling like they were on plates that were not connecting. And I, now you can understand that I prefer process and stability. And so I thought, what can I do here? Can I ride this wave of self-doubt and fear and anxiety? And that's when I really started gratitude journaling. And I, and I made the decision that, no, I'm going to focus on what is going good in my life, even if it's really small. And I'm going to write that down because then guess what? You end up having a journal that's dozens of pages long of things that are going right. And it somehow makes you feel like you have this overly abundance of good things coming your way or happening to you. And I really do believe that's when so many things start changed for me. 2021, looking back, was a time of great change. My career trajectory changed. We made family decisions that changed the, the structure and dynamic of my husband and his career. And now he's staying at home and he's watching our children and our kids are thriving because of him. And so the emergence of 2021 after that darkness of 2020 really showed me looking back. And I think it was Steve Jobs who, who said, you can only connect the dots looking back. It turned out to be the best year of my life. And it that light only came through once all of that darkness for me that took place at the end of 2020. So I'm really grateful for that time, even though it was hard to go through it because I learned a lot of lessons and now it made me who I am today. Amazing growth. Yeah. yeah. And growth does come from tricky times, but yeah. you don't, it doesn't feel like growth at the time, does it? That's the, that's the lesson. So last question, because I'm conscious that we are wrapping up. We've talked a lot about your superpowers in your behaviors. What do you think is your recipe for leaning into those superpowers, both in work with your team and at home with your family? I think my superpower, my personal superpower, and it, and it comes from my, the childhood that I've had and the career that I've had is the ability to connect with people. And whether that's my team or a, a new person that I've met or with my daughter while she's getting ready for school, I can really lean in and create connections with people. And that is, that's because I have, again, everyone has their own learned experiences and through the combination of how I grew up, which is first generation Filipina in Sacramento, California, all the way through the international career that I've had working in multiple countries, working in big global companies where people speak different languages and have different backgrounds and cultural norms. I've been able to mold to the environment that I'm in and really find some shred of similarity and connect with people. And I feel like it's served me personally. It's the type of mother that I am now where I really try and build everyday small um, meaningful connections with my children, with the type of leader that I am. I'm a pretty open person. So I'm, I'm always going to ask you, how, how are you doing? How's your new house? How's your daughter doing a dance? And I think it's really important, right? What is the point of life of, of all of this if we're not taking time to connect with one another? And so it's an area that I've really leaned in on and, and really just in those small moments, how are you? What are you going through? How can I support you when someone asks me back how I am being really open and not giving a superficial surface level example? Oh, I'm, I'm actually having a tough week. Yeah, this is what I'm going through. And so I think really giving space for those meaningful connections is is, is really important. 
And really what you've just demonstrated beautifully, because one of the things we often get asked around the behavioural profile is, how do you focus on where your superpowers are, right? And with yours, if we look at your map, you've probably got four areas, but by and away, the piece that lights you up the most, and you can tell, and I know the listeners can't see you, but you can see your face light up when you talk about it, is that people piece. And I think the more that you can lean into the one or two things that are just in your genius zones, the greater impact you'll have both in work and personally. So it really sounds like you've you've nailed that down. And I think we've got that feeling from you all the way through. For sure. Thank you so much for joining us. We've loved having you. Yeah, thank you. This has been a gift. And I also have loved the map and also understanding where my super strengths lie and then also what may be blind spots to me, right? I think that's also a, a really big part of who we are. So let's wrap up with some takeaways from an amazing episode with Janelle. The first has to be this concept of being 1% better. And that thought process that if you can get 1% better every day, if you can take 1% of the concepts that you're taught in training or podcasts or books and apply it, that cumulatively adds up to big percentage gains on a long-term basis. Janelle also talked about this concept of giving flexibility, but on the basis of holding accountability, which is just fascinating because that's often the biggest question we get asked when we're talking to organisations about the behavioural makeup of their team and the potential need for added flexibility is always the question of, well, how much is too much flexibility and how do we counterbalance that? But it is that concept that if you give flexibility, you can still hold accountability. The final one, Janelle described this thought process that every time she books a meeting in, she asks herself the question of, is this respecting everyone's time? And we all know, right, that we need to be respectful of people's time and we need to think productively, especially when it comes to meetings. But it's an interesting question to ask yourself as to whether you're asking that every time you book a meeting and you're questioning things like, Could this be an email versus a meeting? Do all of these people need to be involved? And overall, for every attendee in the meeting, is this respecting their time in the way that you need to? Thank you for choosing to listen to the Misbehave podcast. Hit the subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.